This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we discuss lessons learned from going through the COVID crisis at a university. Specifically, we're looking at the crisis and how it's altered practices and procedures in flight training at a college environment. And joining me today is going to be Eric Crump. But before we begin, just a couple of announcements. If you have questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And you can find our scholarships guide, career coaching, and various online courses right there at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Just click on the courses. And don't forget, if you're looking for that scholarships guide, you may get a free one. Uh, use a coupon called Pay It Forward, all one word. And folks that actually have donated through our uh, Patreon account, if you become a patron and you donate up to $10, or once we reach $10 of donations, we give away a free scholarships guide. So you could just, for $1 a month, you could actually change somebody's life. Uh, once we hit $10, like I said, we give away a guide. I think uh, last week we gave away, I think it was four or five uh, scholarships guides. So it really does change lives. Uh, the current scholarships guide has 64 new scholarships, six updates, and a new category for scholarships for adults. Anyway, on with the show. Joining me today, like I said, is the director of aerospace at uh, Polk State College, and that is Eric Crump. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Yay, podcasting again. I've missed you all. <laughs> Yeah, what's happened, boy, Eric? You've been really, really busy. Uh, I know I've had a I've had a couple of issues, you know, and so I ended up. Everybody's talking about how uh, you know twenty twenty is a dumpster fire with this virus, and I don't dis- I don't dispute that. But the end of my twenty nineteen was a little intense. I uh, managed to fall and shatter my kneecap into eight pieces, which was not pleasant. Wow! Went through a major surgery for that, and tried to. I'm still actually trying to learn to walk from that six months later. And, um, and then in the middle of all of that, well, I mean, not in the middle of it, but I found out at the, in that period that uh, we were going to get uh, blessed with a third child that we were not expecting. Um, and so, uh, Mr. Wilson Crump was born, uh, on March 4th. Congratulations. Uh, as of the time of this recording, two months old. Um, and so, uh, there was baby and then there was no sleeping and there's still no sleeping. Um, and then, then there was a virus. So actually he was born the, uh, two weeks before the entire world shut down. So, um, I was very fortunate in that, but you know, we've been a little bit busy at the Crump house over the last few months, but it's nice to be back. Well, once again, congratulations on the new addition to your family. Thanks, man. Uh, just got to, to meet them here online. Uh, uh, those folks that aren't here with us, uh, we had a little, uh, visit virtual visit, which we're doing a lot lately, aren't we? Yes. Uh, that, I tell you what, this is the greatest thing about technology is that we can still have these virtual visits with our family. Uh, these, it really is incredible. We talk about distancing ourselves, and uh, it seems as if we've come together a little bit, amazingly enough. Uh, it's strange because you know I'm so far from my family, and you are too from parts of your family. And through this role of podcasting, we've actually been able to come together, and even on the collegiate level, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and some schools are are more in that role of being a distance type of learning and coming together. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, coming up with uh, what's happening with COVID nineteen. I think one of the things we have to do because we haven't been able to get someone on to talk about this is how it's affecting. Uh, collegiate aviation. and uh, But before we start that, your role at Polk State, again, I think I got that right, is the Director of Aerospace there at Polk State College. That's what I'm calling myself this week. Um, next week, I, I may give myself a, a title promotion. I might be the Aerospace Program Director. You know, we just, what we do is we just rearrange the words. So uh, maybe two weeks from now, I'll be the Director Aerospace Program or Program Aerospace Director. Who knows? But yeah, the three words that you say are always the right words. And it's always funny because they always come out in a different order. It's amazing. Um, it doesn't matter, but I still do the same job. Yes, I run the aerospace program at Polk State College. I absolutely love my job. I got to, um, uh, speaking of uh, babies, I got to birth that program in, in January of 2013. Um, it was a brand new blank slate program. Um, it came from nothing. Uh, nine people showed up the first semester and we all celebrated that someone came and we were like, this is great. Somebody came and enrolled. And then fast forward eight years, uh, four different degree programs, almost 300 students 
Um, uh, 82 enrolled for flight training in the spring semester, um, which I know we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, so, uh, the unique challenges that come along with that, but, um, yeah, I love, love my job, love my program, love my students. And just a quick shout out to Polk State. They have, uh, you said degree programs. It's not just in uh, professional aviation, aerospace management, and they have some other things that are new there, I think in dispatch, correct? Yeah. So our dispatcher certification program, and you've had Adam on before. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's such a cool program because it's so accelerated. Um, we just, re- at the time of this recording, we're two months into our approval for online distance learning with that program as well. So as soon as we're allowed to open things up, there is still a face-to-face component. So well, as soon as we're able to get things going and whatever we find out this new normal to be, our, um, our distance learning program will open, which is a, a much slower self-paced two months on your own online of theory and theoretical learning. So it's not like eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, because th- again, that, that model works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. So we'll still offer that, but we're also going to offer this distance learning option with a two week in-person requirement at the end. So there are lots of cool things happening there um, in dispatch as well. That's really exciting. I, mean, I can't wait to see that come out. Very, very excited about that. You know, Eric, one of the things that I think if you have been uh, staying away from the television, you haven't realized that there's a, a big effect on all businesses and all schools and uh, our personal lives. But wait, is there something going on right now? There's yes, there is. There's a big virus. I know you've been stuck at home taking care of oh, the baby. Man. But I'm so glad I came on this informational educational podcast where I could learn that there was a virus. Carol, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, you're never too old to learn. As I did. Said. I have, now I have done the one thing today to move my career forward. So I want to thank you, Carl, for that and your life. And I I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's been a while since we podcasted. I got to catch up on on months of not ribbing with you. I know. I, I walk in the door and it starts, you know. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I really, you know, miss about being at the college is the fact that you get to interact with people. It's not just about the learning. Uh, you know, when I first went to college, I remember the president of the university telling me that this is more of avenue for socialization. It's not just about the classes, et cetera. And were they still using the stone tablets back then or had you guys, did you guys have paper? We just moved up to those reels. Remember the reels and the computers? I hate to say oh. this. That was about my time. So awesome. <laughs> you've probably never seen those, but they, it's interesting because there we, we really had that. We had that socialization that we kind of yeah. um, are still promoting, but it's changed a little bit. And this virus has really changed things, I think, uh, quite a bit. So I know I'm kind of queuing you up for that, but. How has it really affected the colleges, colleges such as Polk State that have aviation programs? Right. I think the first thing that people look at is um, as far as the college university system goes, and I don't I don't poll everybody, but Polk, like many schools, uh, is a proud member of the University Aviation Association. And and that group has done a great job of um, facilitating communication and collaboration between all of their partners and member schools to um, uh, we have discussion boards. We've had a couple of webinars. It's been it's been great to keep in touch. Surveys, who's doing what? Because you know, through March, some people had shut down early. Some people were still going. Polk was still going through March, um, and then ultimately made the decision to um, to cease operations on April first. But there were schools that had already stopped flight training in early March. And so, what people did, how they did it, that information was all communicated, and it was great. And I think a lot of people look at it and say, well. Obviously, you stop flight training. I mean, that's a huge deal. And I, I don't want to belittle it. I mean, flight training is a big deal. That's why you, you come to an aviation collegiate program so that you can become a pilot. That's fine. But like you said, Carl, to me, and it was certainly true in my college experience, there's just so much more to that college experience than just getting in the airplane and getting a pilot certificate. I mean, honestly, if that was all we cared about, we wouldn't go to college to do it. You just go to your local flight school. You just get your pilot certificates. What we're missing the most, in my opinion, my students may have a different answer to this question, but especially after, you know, a month and what at the time of this recording of five weeks of not flying, I'm sure they think about it differently than I do. Um, But it's, it's so, it's such a bigger deal than just flight training to me. Um, Because right now Polk State employees are like, are, are being asked to stay home. Um, Essential employees can go to campuses 
if it's absolutely necessary, but there's a whole protocol we have to follow in notifying security that we're coming to campus. And then um, uh, facilities and custodial services have to come behind us, sterilize and clean everything once we leave the building. So, I mean, it's, we're really, we're not on campus right now. Um, all of our student meetings are virtual or on phone. Um, so my whole life exists in this computer that I'm talking to you on right now. <laughs> so I've been here all day. This is my fourth web meeting thing today. Um, and I've got one more after this one. So it, this is what my life is. And at least in that way, we're still connected. But the thing I'm missing the most is that connection, um, that, that, uh, that crew mentality, if you will. I think that's one of those, that's one of those anchor points that we founded Polk State on in 2013 that it's yes, you get a degree. Yes. You get flight training and certification and all that, but really we're, we're all, a, we're a crew and we're in this together. Um, and when the program was nine and even when it got up to 20 and 30 students, it, we all knew each other. We all saw each other every day. We were all in the same building. Um, and even now with uh, 82, and that was our, our largest class of, of active flight students at one time, but with 82 active flight students in the spring, we still saw one another. We still, students were still having their ad hoc study groups and going to lunches together. And that's the piece I miss the most. Um, and I think once all this is over or whatever over looks like and people start flight training again, I think even the students who are upset, obviously that they're not flying right now are going to realize that what they missed out on was not just the flight training. I think that's the thing they see first. I think that's what most people look at first, but there's so much more than that, that, that I'm looking forward to getting back. And I think also with the flight training, we, we think too much about aviation programs in general as flight training. And they really are not just about flight training. There is so much more than that. That's, and this is something I really wanted to, I wanted to make as a key point. And I hope, hope you agree. Uh, if you want to just go get your licenses, et cetera, you can do that in six, seven months, right? There is more to a collegiate aviation program than flight training. So the same challenges that a traditional or other type of colleges have, you have also uh, in both the classroom, but you're also able to make arrangements to change that too. So tell us a little bit along those lines. I mean, most of their time is not just spent out flight training. Right. Um, So early on, we realized that um, particularly with our students, many of them, we're, we're not a traditional college program in the sense that everybody's 18, like a traditional university would be. Um, I think our average age is 27 or so, some, somewhere around in there. Um, and so a lot of our students have jobs, they have families, they have other life commitments beyond just going to school. And we realized early on that we had to take advantage of online instruction if we wanted to maximize the amount of hours that our students could get in the airplane. Because if for every hour you're sitting in a room listening to your professor run their mouth, that's an hour you're not out in the airplane. And if you're a family person, you got a job, whatever, those hours are limited. So I don't want to take up those hours listening to me run my face when it's the 21st century and good online instruction is absolutely possible if you're willing to put in some effort to it. So, and we did, we, we spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort to build um, about 80% of our pilot program is offered online anyway. So when all of these traditional universities were all tripping all over themselves to how do we teach this stuff online? We were already doing that. We've been doing that for the last eight years. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really that big of a deal for us. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a transition. It was, um, but for the aerospace program, it was less of an issue because so much of our stuff is already online anyway. And our administration programs, the bachelor's degrees, they are hundred percent online. So there just really wasn't as much of a, the, the chaos that you read about that was happening in, in universities, that really wasn't our experience. So if you were to compare yours, because it is a little bit different of a program, not quite as traditional, are other programs in a similar manner having the advantages that you have? Are there other programs out there like yours? I mean, I'm assuming that you have conversations with other schools about their programs and, and what's happening with the way that theirs are set up. Because you do see the traditional campus, obviously, they're, they're being affected much more. Uh, but are there other ones out there? Or is yours that unique? Well, I mean, obviously, no other school has the quality of flight team coach that we do. But, I mean, I think <laughs> in... <course> <laughs> 
<laughs> Guys, he does. He pays me to say that. Um, here's here's a ten dollars. Uh, he he actually he pays me to be the flight team coach. Um, it's I keep threatening Carl if he doesn't stop being such a good volunteer, I'm going to raise his salary by two hundred percent. From zero, what is that? I, I was I was a math major. I just can't figure that one out. Well, yeah, you're you're a pilot. Just put it in the FMS. The put it in the FMS. <laughs> Let the FMS figure it out. Um, so. I mean, in terms of other schools like us, I mean, there are what I would consider online focused aviation programs, even at the college universities. Um, so yes, there is some of that. I mean, in, in the two year, four year public college or university thing, I mean, I think we might be in like, I hate to use the 1% in a sentence and it'd be a good thing, but I mean, I think that's, I think it's a rarity among the five state colleges in Florida that have aviation programs, we're the only one that has a predominant online instruction component in our pilot program already. And I've, I've heard horror stories from other people about their transition experience. Um, and certainly, you know, we had students who were in face-to-face math and science and English and history and wellness and psychology classes who had to transition to an online environment. Maybe there was, there was some upheaval in that, Certainly. Um, but as far as aerospace goes, um, the only real struggle we faced was our private ground school was already done. They had already completed their end of course exam and they were already actually most of them already completed their FA test. But our instrument commercial classes were shut down literally the week before their end of course exam. And we we looked at all kinds of different ways. Can we do like an exception? Can we have them on campus? Can we? And it, it was just a no. Um, the, the risk at that point, everybody was, you know, it was like a, like my granddad used to say, a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Um, you know, everybody was afraid of their own shadow at that point. And so it didn't happen. And so, um, I will say in, in, in a CUDA, I mean, a lot of people don't throw kudos at the FAA, but I've, I've got to give them a shout out to the Orlando FISDO and our, uh, 141 ops inspector who was actually brand new to our certificate. He had just introduced himself to me the week before all this insanity happened. He just got assigned to us. And then he got thrown into this mess with us too. And he, he was great. He helped me coordinate with headquarters and get approval to do online proctoring for my end of course exam. So we didn't have to have the students come to campus. And we got that done in a matter of days. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And I, I really, really appreciate the partnership that Orlando showed us in that. Um, and then also, as we're now in our summer semester, which started at the time of this recording two days ago, we had to move all of our ground school courses to online, which we've never taught as online courses. Um, so those had to be built from scratch. I spent a lot of, I'm not going to tell you how much time that took, but it was a lot. Um, so we had to build all of those and we got special approval and blessing from the FA in very short order to continue to do online enrollment without having to change our uh, training course outline, which would have taken you know months to do. And um, and that they were very good to us. It made a bad situation way easier on us and, and definitely on our student population as well. One of the reasons that I bring this up, Eric, is because there are a lot of people that are now deciding what to do as far as a degree program is concerned. And obviously, you know, we want to plug Polk State. But in general, when you're looking at these and say you can't come to Polk State, these are things that you need to consider uh, when you're looking at a school, especially now. So some of those things to consider are how much of your program is online. Uh, and one thing that I really like about Polk State is the fact that, yeah, your associates a lot of times is is primarily on a campus or close to a campus, whereas your bachelor's you can finish while you're working, while you're working at an airline even. And I think that's cool. So what, would, what advice would you give somebody if they're starting to look at this, whatever the new normal is, at a university program? So, I mean, obviously this summer is weird, right? It was a weird semester. Everybody knew it was going to be weird. Um, Enrollment is down across the board all over the country. Um, It's not that bad at Polk. I mean, we're, we're in single digit decline where we've got schools in South Florida that are reporting 20 or more percent reduction in enrollment for the summer. And so it's, and it's, it's bad. It's bad everywhere. If you're a, um, you know, a, a traditional university with residential housing, I, I, I pity you. Um, I mean, it, it's a, t- it's a tough time to, to be trying to start something. And so we had, I think 18, 19 students who were in the queue to start flight training with us in the summer. Um, and so we contacted all of them once we knew that flight training was going to shut down 
and we had sort of an idea of what was going to happen. I mean, nobody's really, who knows, right? But um, we could at least see where things were going. So we went ahead and contacted them all and just said, listen, um, we're not doing any new flight enrollments this summer. When I am able to open flight training, um, my first responsibility and priorities with my students that are in training purgatory right now. And so there are 68 of them left that are still trying to finish a certificate or rating. So when we do resume training, uh, my first priority and my, my first mission is to get them back in the airplane as much as possible and get them done with their current certificate or rating so they're ready to move on in August. Um, and we do certainly see at this point, we see no reason why we wouldn't be back to our normal flight operations in August. That's what we're all planning for. Um, we will start um, flight training enrollment for the fall term first week of June, just like we always do. And if we see, um, you know, as states start to relax uh, security measures, if we see numbers start to spike again, or there's some issue that comes up, we'll handle that when we get there. But for right now, um, our plans are to go back to, um, you know, what we consider to be a, a normal semester in August. So for right now, it's, it's manage the disaster that was spring, triage the disaster that is the summer. Um, and really my focus is what it's always been. It's, it's taking care of our students. Um, they're, they've invested money to come here, a lot of money. They've invested time and effort. And my first priority is to uh, get them back in the airplane as efficiently and safely as I can. Not looking at it as, you know, what, what and students tend to do this. I certainly did it when I was in college. You know, I want to fly. I know you do. And I want you to fly. But where you are responsible for the singular you, I am responsible for all of you. And so my decision-making process is a little bit more holistic. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, I'm the program director. I report to the vice president of academic affairs who reports to the president who, who answers to our district board of trustees. It's not like I make the decision, but uh, ultimately I am the one that gets to communicate good or bad news to the students, um, which is, and that's my only focus right now is to make sure that our students are taken care of and that uh, their academic journey continues as uninterrupted as possible. And that years from now, this just turns into a really funny story. They can tell their friends and family. Let's hope that that's true. You know, one thing you mentioned as far as training is concerned, it really, as far as classroom, honestly, that probably hasn't affected the students as much as has affected you. Cause you're talking about having to, you know, shift gears, shift direction, start creating a, a new online course. And they're somewhat, happy about that in some respects, right? Because uh, some people want that. But from a flight, tra- specifically from a flight training perspective, there's many schools out there that are promoting what they're doing as far as safety is concerned. Is there anything that you might want to give us to give us a little more color as far as what you're doing from a flight training perspective? Yeah. So, um, you know, ultimately we are an institution of the state of Florida. So, um, our decision to stop flight training hinged entirely around our governor issuing a stay-at-home order, where flight training has been considered by most to be an essential activity, and, and many people have been uh, continuing training throughout this process, and I don't fault them for that. That's fine. Um, flight training is on the CISA list. I don't debate that. that that's, that's fine. But I think for us, we looked at it as not how to how to manage a problem that could happen, but more of a, from a risk management perspective, quite honestly, is at what point can we honestly tell ourselves that we are we have not accepted unnecessary risk? And I, for me, for me, for our program, um, for the safety culture that we teach, for the risk management process that we espouse, um, it would have been irresponsible and entirely hypocritical for me to tell students, well, I, yeah, I said, I said this, except right now, because what you really need to do is get in an airplane. And I understand why other schools are doing it. And if you're an instructor or an owner of another school and you're listening, you're like, I'm going to kill Eric. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm saying that the way we are set up, that was a decision we had to make, or we would have absolutely been hypocrites if we had if we had just said, "Well, yeah, but we don't. We only care about safety culture when it's convenient." And I've I've worked with and for operators that have had that mentality. I have seen um, plenty of cases of airlines, and so have you, Carl, who have operated under that mentality, and it never ends well. And so that was our decision. 
It doesn't. And the other thing we have to understand is you're going to have to deal with this throughout the rest of your career. Uh, trying to explain to people why is it we're not taking off and the other airline next to us is. Well, we have a, a different set of, of rules in place to keep you safe. And uh, without saying that they're not safe, I mean, we have to continue to say it in a positive manner. So this is this is a tough tough time to be talking about this also. I mean, I'm sure it is. I mean, you must have conversations with with other schools out there and and this comes up. It's 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 every day. It's every single day. I will have two to four meetings either with other schools or with our own people. Um, It's every single day, five days a week. And we've been doing this every week since we shut down on April 1st. Um, It's not like we're just sitting back well, we'll come back to it in a month or so. I mean, we're literally talking about it every single day. And I've got to I've got to give props to the schools out there who were willing to share their safety measures. I mean, I know you've had Wayman on and I I love those guys. I've known them for over a decade. You know, the the um the collaboration of of sharing your your safety practices. I mean, it's it's rare in in aviation, especially in, you know, for profit businesses for us to share. I mean, that's, that's not something that we're very good at. And, and that's just the, that's the flight training industry in general. I, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but you know, kudos to them for, for not only coming up with a really robust safety program to handle this issue, but then to be the kind of people who share that with other people and say, maybe you can use this in your own operation. Um, and we've looked at it. We've looked at it to see, you know, what, what, uh, what's it up. I've been on webinars with other schools from University Aviation Association. I've had phone calls with our other state colleges trying to figure out, you know, when we return, what do our safety measures look like? Um, and I think one of the interesting things about our process, of course, you know this because you're, well, you were when we were open, you were there all the time. Um, sometimes too much. Go home, Carl. Um <laughs> And by home, I mean five minutes down. I was going to say, I'm just right down the road. <laughs> basically always there anyway. Um, but uh, one of our core beliefs as a program is that students should be involved in the inner workings of the program and in the decisions that we make. Our safety team that reviews our internal safety reports and makes safety recommendations to the program is run by students. It's it a student membership as a student chairman, and we participate and support. And so when we were looking at this, I, I told our leadership at the college that in order to come up with a plan, the only path forward I saw was to ask the students to participate and build one. And and leadership was actually surprised. They're like, you think your students will want to do that? I'm like, just wait. The response was overwhelming. I mean, we there was no way we could have put, and we even had students who hadn't started flight training yet who were like, I'll help. I'll help. I want to be a part of it too. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. So the plan that we developed, that we've presented to leadership for review, that we're looking at implementing was developed by students. I mean, I wrote it down. You know, we had three meetings over three days and then a whole bunch of follow-up emails. I estimate roughly that these guys donated about 10 to 12 hours of their time to help us come up with a plan because I'm, I'm not in the airplane every day. The students are though. And I wanted them to be a part of that safety risk management process. And um, I had to tell some of them, thank you, but we already have too many people. You know, I mean, that's, and that's awesome. And again, not to try to put a bow on things, but just to say that's, that's what safety culture is. That's, that's crew mentality. And that's the thing, that's what to me is the value in going through a program like what we offer. It's not just learning to fly an airplane. It's learning to be a professional pilot. And if you want to be a professional pilot, and you don't want to be hated by all the other professional pilots, you better learn how to work on a team and not just the pilots, but, you know, and we've talked about it here, you know, pilots who get the, you know, the big head, I am the world um, mentality who don't realize for every two of you in the front, it takes a hundred people to get you there. Right. So, I mean, you're, you're the minority, you're the small, there's so much more going on around you. And I think that's, um, it is social and it is fun and it is rewarding. It is educational, but really what you're learning is a core set of values that you're going to be able to take with you in, in your career. Those are the things people look for when they're trying to pick a chief pilot one day. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a little rambly, but I, I and I, it's like talking about your kids, right? Everybody likes their own kids. Right. Um, I'm really proud of mine. 
Yeah, and I think hats off to him for doing that. I think that's that's absolutely terrific. And instilling that safety culture moving forward. And sometimes, you know, to, to speak towards that, and I always tell people this as far as what you said about we sometimes think we're the center of the universe. We're being entrusted with, you know, maybe as little as a million dollars worth of equipment up to $200 million worth of equipment when we take off. And, and sometimes, you know, we build up our ego so that we have the confidence to do that. Yeah, there are times, though, when that, that ego and confidence actually can be detrimental in in a situation like this and that's where we a lot of time and that's even on our briefings at the airlines you know we check the egos at the door if you see something say something kind of thing and i think that's really important that's kind of what one of the points i want to make here with these people volunteering and moving forward they've actually checked some of their egos at the door which i think is terrific and that's awesome um before we get to some questions because i have a couple questions for you that aren't in the show notes so a bit of a surprise for him but but that's okay uh what's next as far as polk state college is concerned uh, and maybe if you want, if you can speak towards some of the other universities, I don't know if you can, but what's next for you folks? What's next for the rest? Well, just like everything else in the world right now, Carl, I mean, y- your plan can be one thing at noon and then be completely flushed down the toilet by 4 p.m. Um, it's, you know, at least at the time of this recording, our um, our reported case numbers in Polk County are still increasing. Uh, that We have to take that into consideration. And even with social distancing and masks and wash your hands and check your temperature. Those are, um, I mean, you're familiar with the Swiss cheese model, Carl. I think maybe you've heard of that before. And so (laughs) you've heard of that before, maybe some threat and error management thrown into your life at once, once or twice. So, I mean, all we're really doing is just trying to let the holes not line up in the Swiss cheese, right? We're just, we're adding another layer and another layer and another layer of defense, but there's always still a possibility that something's going to go straight through all the holes and create an incident, right? And so that comes back to that whole uh, not accepting any unnecessary risk. Um, And when we are sure we can do that, um, then we'll resume flight training. And as far as other schools go, you know, I've heard schools that are, we had one school that uh, that we were talking to that were told they were going to get to start flight training in in mid-May. And they're like, all right, great. And then four hours later, got a phone call that said, uh, actually, nope, uh, just kidding. It's going to be July 1st. Okay, those are very different. <laughs> those are not like a week or two. Um, and I, you know, my students email and call me, and and I understand why. I would do the same thing if I were in their position. When are we going to fly again? We really want to fly again. And I, I get that. I, I totally do understand it. Um, especially when they see so many other flight schools that are operating, and they don't understand that my decision is based on more things than just am I going to be able to make my airplane lease payment this month? Like that's, and I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate way to run a business. It's just, I have so much more that I have to think about. And, and the main thing is practicing what I preach. I'm not going to be um, a hypocrite when it comes to safety culture. I mean, because I really do believe it. I don't use those words in a sentence because it sounds nice and people want to hear it. I, that's, that is literally the way I live my life and the way I've, I've patterned my career. And uh, for, for now, uh, Polk States asked me to helm the aerospace program. So for right now, that's 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 what we're doing. Um, but yeah, the, the plans, honestly, Carl, are, they change every day. They'll change multiple times during the day um, because the, the information is still coming at such a pace and it's such a it's such a huge pendulum swing. You know, it, we, we haven't found neutral yet somewhere in the middle. Um, we're still just wildly going 180 degrees in both directions. You know, and this is actually somewhat good for people to experience, especially if you're becoming an aviator, because that'll happen in real life, the pendulum swings. I mean, I I always think about uh, a captain I know that took off, lost an engine, about 20 seconds later, had a heart attack in the back, and so had a passenger with a heart attack. So now you have to really prioritize what you're doing. You went from one emergency to the next, and that's what we're doing right now. And and you just have to deal with what's in front of you and move forward and, and just in general, when we're all looking at this and looking at the life of COVID and post-COVID, we uh, we have to realize we're just going to have to deal with what's in front of us. But we always do. I mean, we always adjust. And we are humans, and it's amazing how well we do adjust. And uh, and I think I, I just am so hopeful for the future. I really I've been through this so many times with so many furloughs and, and that type of thing. What's interesting, too, is a lot of folks that have online businesses and online schools like yourself have actually become somewhat busy. I mean, I know I have. I've been, you know, doing this like 12 hours a day. It's absolutely amazing what's been happening. But 
Well, all total. And that's the crazy thing. So we were supposed to get 19 new flight students in the summer, right? So we told all of them, hey, listen, we can't offer new flight training courses. Obviously, you can certainly enroll in academic courses. They're all going to be online. If you want to do that, that's fine. We had 23 new people total start the program in the summer, which is unheard of. We don't have that many people start when we are doing flight training. We're looking right now somewhere like low 30s for fall. So it's not like it stopped people from wanting to start and wanting to get involved. It's just created a a little bit of a front end obstacle. And like you said, every time somebody tells me what their plan is for aviation, I'm like, okay, cool. So what's your fallback plan? Like every, every student that comes in and on our first advising visit and they're like, I'm going to the Air Force Academy. I'm like, cool. So what's your plan B? I'm going to the Air Force Academy. I'm like, okay. But statistically, you're probably not. So, but so what's your, what's your plan B if that, does, well, I have to get into the Air Force Academy. I mean, and, you know, and, and part of that is just learning, learning to think like a pilot. And you know, this usually plan B doesn't even work. Right. So you're in like CD, you're like double Z and then you finally <laughs> find something that'll work. But you talked about, you know, engine failure and a heart attack in the back. It's what is that old pilot expression? Um, 95% of the time, it's just fancy flying and 5% sheer terror. Sheer terror <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, that's, that's the nature of this business economically, um, but also just the workload. One minute you're at cruise, chilling, planning a descent into wherever. And the next thing you know, <laughs> everything, um, everything's going sideways. Um, and so I think this teaches us resilience, this stuff. And it's, it's healthy, not just for our professional career, but it's healthy for, you know, everybody's going to have a life setback. We're going to lose our loved ones eventually. I mean, that's the way, I mean, it, it's just going to happen. You know, things bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. How easily can we adapt and not fall into cycles of, uh, of self self-loathing and that stuff? Like we gotta, we've got to learn to be resilient creatures. And I, as much as I don't want to learn it like this, it's still a valuable lesson. Yeah, we do adapt and change. And I think that's, what's great about us just as humans in general. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of really forward looking thoughts there. And I think that it's, it is true. I mean, like the, uh, the psychology podcast, I feel like we should all like start talking in like deep psychiatrist voice, (laughs) which you have anyway. Um, Oh, thanks. (laughs) But you know, relationship with your father, (laughs) you know, it's funny because this is kind of what I do all day with, uh, with the career coaching, uh, which interestingly, you brought that up. One of the things that we've had to do and adjust to in our, in our business is, you know, I, do a lot of career coaching. I'm doing it almost every day. And most people think we only do it online. If you've heard me say, we do them in person. And you know, it's really become hard to schedule a podcast with you. Yes. Like it, it used to just be, be like, hey, you want to you want to get together around two o'clock? And you were like, yeah, that sounds great. And now it's like, well, next Thursday. No, not Thursday. It would have to be. <laughs> you know, it's it's really difficult for us to schedule. Which is which is great. And I love helping people. And it, it's wonderful. Um, but with the whole COVID thing, I, I will say, and I forgot to make this an announcement in the beginning. I probably should have. We're not going to be doing that in-person uh, coaching, especially if you have COVID. Uh, we're definitely not going to be doing that in person. And uh, so, and it's going to be a while uh, also for your safety too. Cause remember I'm still out there flying in New York and you know, Connecticut and, you know, all the other places that have, you know, large amounts of people that are getting COVID and in the islands, et cetera. So we're going to kind of do that right now is, is make sure we just do it online, which is kind of weird to say that, but uh, amazingly enough, we do have a, a few people that stop by either Lakeland or sometimes when I'm in Orlando and, and say hello. I just oh. want you to get one of those uh, hazmat suits from like Outbreak or something. Oh my gosh! Imagine showing up. I want to see some Instagram photos of you in a hazmat outfit or like a like just get a beekeeper outfit. That looks close enough. So so that whole approachability part of me would go away very quickly. <laughs> you know, so not too many people would open up to that. Just, <laughs> no, it's not just little children who are afraid. It's everybody. <laughs> Yo, know, Eric, one of the things I want I did want to get to is a question that came up uh, from our YouTube channel. And by the way, we started putting a lot more YouTube videos out there to help people out. They're usually pretty short. We've had some deep dives into some topics, one of them being um, on the YouTube channel was, can I fly with a DUI? We're getting a lot of feedback. We had an aviation attorney on to explain if you have a DUI in your past, what you need to do. If you have one now, you get one, you know, what to do in the future. During that conversation, though, um, 
I'd like to get your feedback on this, Eric. We talked a little bit about some of the uh, medications that will prevent you from uh, becoming a pilot for right now because you can't get a medical. There's certain things I think people have to make sure they understand when they're looking towards a career in aviation. There's there's certain medications that you might have been taking as a younger person that will make you ineligible. So in your experience, uh, what, what are you saying? every seeing? semester. Every so so I, I, did, I said about 10 to 20% of the people that I've talked to in general at schools have had students in this similar situation that are working with a lot of younger students. So what has your experience been with this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's on the higher side of that. Um, but before I even get to that, first of all, I want you and I to collaborate on a country song titled, can I fly with the DUI? <laughs> I think that we could, it'll be top 10 on the billboard charts um, and it'll come for free with every scholarship guide. We will, because that's the only way anybody will ever get it. Nobody will, nobody will buy it. You're, you're giving people ideas now. And I know I'm going to hear yeah. that. It's going to happen. I know it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know too many of the people that, you know, Carl, it's going to happen. Um, we're going to do one of those mishmashes of all of your podcast recordings and put together a song of you saying, can I fly with a DUI? Um, but anyway, so that's not what we're talking about, but it was, it was funny to me. I shared it with you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. So, yeah, so we see right now and it, it varies term by term, but, um, for, for kids who grew up in the really any time during the 90s and even into the early 2000s, we are seeing so many kids that were correctly or incorrectly, doesn't matter, diagnosed with ADD or ADHD as children and were medicated for it, who aren't even taking the medication or haven't taken it since they were 10 years old or, or 12 years old or whatever, who go and apply for their first medical certificate and you know, were you ever diagnosed? You know, you got to answer the questions um, and, and you see, okay, well, automatically that's a deferment on your medical. You're not getting a medical. It's getting deferred and, and additional testing and all sorts of, I mean, and, and it's expensive to, to go through that process. And so, you know, a lot of folks are coming in and of course there's so much, I mean, how many podcasts have we done on this, Carl? All, all the things that you have to think about and prepare for before you start flight training. It's so much. And for us, you know, they're starting college too many of them for the first time. And, um, you know, we tell them, go get your medical, get your medical. Here's, here are the people locally, go get your medical certificate. And they don't, and they don't, they don't, they come to our orientation. We're like, we need your medical certificate. Oh, I didn't do that yet. Okay. Well, you got to do it before you fly. And then they go take their, and then they're like, Oh, they said it's deferred and it might take two to three months to get, I mean, so now we got to withdraw you from flight training because you can't solo without, and I, and I know some schools deal with this differently, but I just, I think it's irresponsible to let somebody start flight training when you know they can't solo. If I were the student, that would feel like a money grab to me. So we just, we just say, listen, you got to withdraw from flight training. Let's get the medical issue dealt with, come back and then we'll start. It's just, it's, it's better that way in case you run into any other issues. But yeah, we're, we see that a lot and it's, it's on the higher end of that, you know, 15 to 20%. Um, and it seems like it's just about every term. And that's something that I think is great from your perspective to hear is that you really need to do these things. And as a matter of fact, we're coming up with a checklist in our new course about uh, airline interview course. It's going to be part of that. We're going to say, hey, this is what you need to do. Because when I'm doing coaching and people are starting out, that's one of the, that's one of the things on the checklist is what we need to do. Uh, along with getting your background and all those types. There's so much that's involved there. By the way, just I know I'm going to get a little bit of hate mail on, on that, that statement just to kind of, you know, look at the aspect of starting flight training without having a medical. There are people out there that understand what's happening. We're talking more on an academic standpoint, people that want to do this. I started flight training when I was 13 years old. Right. I, I flew for three years without a medical certificate. Right. And then I went to get a medical so that I could solo on my 16th birthday and found out I was red, green, colorblind. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean, and so even in my situation where it should not have mattered, it's still, it was still like, Oh, junk. Now that's, I got to consider, well, I was three years into training at that point, you know, when I had to start dealing with that issue. And that's fo that followed me for 10 years after that, before I finally got that ultimately put to bed. So, I mean, 
and I, I don't want to make it seem like, well, if this was you, you're never getting a medical. It's not that you 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 probably will, but especially if you're not on medication anymore, it's going to be fine. Like my color vision thing, eventually I got my night flying privileges back, but it still took time. And in our setting, in, in an academic setting where, you know, every four months you're taking a check ride, you know, having to start over, you know, like we got to stop and then you got to wait four months before you start. That's just... Um, what is it we say? It's, it's all it's seniority, right? If you want to be a pilot, that's that is that's everything. And that four months can make the difference in a substantial amount of money in your career, depending on what happens. So it's just if you know you want to start flight training, in my opinion, you should go ahead and get your medical before you start flight training. And in our world, particularly because we're VA funded, the VA requires that uh, veteran students have done that because they don't want to start paying for flight training and then find out somebody can't get a medical. So if we have to require it for some, we might as well require it for all. It's just, it's easier. It's, it's fairer that way. Um, can you do it? Sure. I did. Uh, it's totally fine. Just in our world, it's, it's the thing that makes the most sense. So if you're looking at a career and this is aviation careers podcast, obviously you want to do that first. Look to see if you have any issues with your medical. One of the questions that comes up sometimes from instructors is, well, I have this private uh, student that, wants to go out and fly. They bought an airplane. They've had a heart attack. They can't fly by themselves. It may be years. Uh, should I do the flight training? Well, in that case, it's different. And that's some one of the things I always want to stress to people. The person, as long as you're upfront and honest with them and say, hey, listen, it could be a while. I know you love to fly. In that case, I'd say yes. Here's somebody who's probably a little later in their life and wants to have fun, wants to get in the air. Please share aviation with them. And if a student, if a student comes to us and they really, really want to start flying, I'll waiver it for them. You know, if, as long as you can, I don't want to hear, you know, two months from now that you're mad because you had to stop flight training, but as long as we go into this and everybody's on the same page, like that's fine. But generally speaking, we're going to pump the brakes and say, you need to stop because this could potentially be a waste of money. Right. And so that, cause that's just the, to me, it's just the more ethical, fair thing to do, but, but I will still let you do it. If, as long as you can acknowledge that, you know, and I mean, I, I don't know how you could do that to somebody. They're so excited and they just right. want to go. It's my responsibility to tell them that, you know, there's a potential issue with this. And if they still want to go anyway, I mean, who am I to tell? I'm sorry, put your passion on, on back burner for two months. I mean, right. again, if it's their choice and they opt into it, that's, it's their choice to make at that point. And there's always options. There's things that you can do while you're waiting. Uh, go out, do some glider rides, that kind of go out and experience some things in aviation and don't let that passion just, just wash away. We want to continue that forward. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, Hey Eric, this has been awesome having you on. I know we're kind of running out of time. We, we do have a lot of questions we want to get from you, the listener, and of course, send them in. And by the way, one of the reasons we're talking about some of these things, especially with the medical, is that people just don't know. And uh, that's one of the reasons we set up the coaching. And And if you have a mentor, get your mentor, get your coach to come out and and talk and say, hey, this is the, what this person wants to do for a living. What steps do they need to take before they move forward? And that's kind of what you do at Polk State. I mean, you, when they come in the door, you say, hey, you need this, you need this, you need this. And that's how you move forward. This whole process is mentoring, man. I mean, it from from your discovery flight to you know your your last day as a captain, retiring from wherever. Your entire career is is a long mentoring session. It should be. That's that's how you should think about it. No, I've never seen one pilot as an island unto themselves. Um, you you can't. You cannot do it by yourself. It's impossible. Even if you're you know, well, I'm an AMP and a pilot. I can fix my own airplane. Are you your own air traffic controller too? All right. I mean, did you order the gas at the airport to put in your plane? Um, I mean, so you just, you cannot do it by yourself. So just it, go ahead and embrace the team mentality. Do it now, do it on your first discovery flight and just accept it and, and find your place and help others support others in, in doing it too. But yeah, it's, it's funny because, um, I'm about to have this exact same conversation because my next my next one of these is my kickoff session for my online ground schools. Um, where we are, like as soon as I get done talking to you, I get to go have the same medical and you know, have this exact same conversation again with them in just a couple of minutes. Well, I hit record. I got, we just hit play again. If you want, you know, I, actually, I should have just invited them to the podcast <laughs> and it would have saved me some time. Well, we would have loved that. That would have been a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, we're going to have to do that sometime. Uh, and we're definitely gonna have Eric Crump back on. This has been awesome. Uh, one of the questions well, I'll, I'll try not to blow out my other knee or have another baby between <laughs> no. now and the next podcast, please make it sooner 
than that. That's for sure. And don't blow out the knee. You can have another baby, but don't blow out the knee. Uh, very positive things that you've been saying today. Anything else that we need to talk about? Maybe some way of finding out where you guys are located? Sure. Well, right now we're located on the internet. <laughs> Feel free to reach out and I will be glad to set up a, an online virtual meeting with you. You get to see um, this this beautiful punum. If uh, I, I found a Zoom background from uh, Top Gun Maverick, so it's so when I do the meeting, it looks like I'm sitting in an F-18 in formation. Um, it's the closest I'll ever get to an F-18, but it's really cool. Actually, I know one of your listeners knows that because I just did a virtual meeting with him the other day, <laughs> and he said, "Oh, this is is this how you podcast with Carl?" I'm like, no, it's not. It's not this cool. <laughs> it's not this awesome. We just talk to each other. It's just two guys having a conversation. Um, but it's cool uh, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, so on the internet, you can find us at polk.edu slash aerospace. We have a Facebook page as well. Feel free to reach out to us uh, anyway through there. Um, and if you have questions about the program or what we do or whatever general stuff, uh, let me know. Every time I come on a podcast, I get 15, 20 emails from people. Um, you know, for, and then of course they get played back and somebody finds out I'm red, green, colorblind. And they're like, I do, I'm colorblind too. What do I do? It's, it's fine. I, it's, it's, I would not be here today if people hadn't answered my questions. So I'm happy to help any way I can. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Eric. And uh, this has been awesome. Again, you can find all those links he talked about in the show notes at the bottom of aviationcurspodcast.com. And don't forget to go check out the YouTube channel. We're trying to do some deep dives. That's a whole different thing over there. There's different questions that happen, and we do explanations. I know a lot of questions have been coming up about furloughs. I spent a good part of my life as a furlough representative for one of the largest unions in, in the United States as far as airline pilots are concerned. And I, you know, I have a, a little bit of knowledge there, and I do want to impart that but I'm doing them in small chunks, usually about seven minute videos out there. But what I think one of the most important things is when you're tearing off this podcast is that you don't just stop there. I think that one of the things that we a lot of times do is we become passive in our journey. We can't do that. We have to take control and we have to move forward ourselves, especially at these times. We're going to need the help of others. Yes, but we need to actually do something and do something right now. And I want you, when you hit stop, I want you to go check out those links. I want you to check out the YouTube channel, find out some answers to your questions easily, like what Eric just said. You can find that on Aviation Careers Podcast. Just search for red color, just colorblind, and you can find it out there. But I want you to do something today to move forward in your career. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, all rights reserved.